Hi there. Welcome back to World Cup Coffee and Tea at Northwest 18th and Gleason for another Oregon Music News Coffee Shop conversation. With me today is photojournalist John Rudolph. You've seen his work in Oregon Music News pretty much since we started in 2009. He's not only a music photojournalist, having come back recently from covering the Syrian refugee tragedy on the Isle of Lesbos. You've seen his photos of Storm Large. Everyone has. He's probably taken more shots of Storm than anyone else on Earth. You've also probably seen him shooting photos at a concert you've attended. He did all this while maintaining a parallel career as a cardiologist. Next week, you'll meet Monica Nelson, who was in the punk band The Obituaries in the mid-80s before she moved to New York. She returned to Portland a few years ago and is as spectacular now as she was then. Right now, allow me to introduce you to John Rudolph. John Rudolph, welcome to the cupping room. We're in the cupping room. The cupping room? That's what this is. That's what this you mean you're going to heat up little glass vials and stick them to my back and suck out the vapors? If you'd like, but <laughs> generally no. Uh, it has to do more with um, coffee making. Ah. Yeah, since this is a coffee shop. Ah. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, for those of you who haven't read this, the copy on th that accompanies this post and just went right to the audio, uh, John is, has been a photographer for Oregon Music News since it's virtually its birth. Correct. I don't remember. How did you come on? It's very simple. I had shot some pictures of Mia Nicholson, and either you or the paper or she said, can we use them? to promote her for something or other, uh -huh. and I said, what the hell is Oregon Music News? Yes. And here I am, six years later, still shooting. Wow. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank Nicholson. you. My pleasure. Have I ever formally thanked you for all this wonderful no, work? No, just send me a check. Yeah. yeah well, in lieu of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was Mia Nicholson. Wow. Mia Nicholson. How about that? Jeez. Um, uh, well, you've, had, you've taken so many uh, you know, amazing, iconic shots for us. Um, but, I, you know, a lot of people, I tell people, John's been shooting pictures so long <laughs> that he was there at, at, at Newport when Dylan went electric. That's correct. It was July of 1965, and I think it was either the 24th or 25th. Wow, how do you know that? Because <laughs> it's the only thing in my life that's, that people ever ask me about. <laughs> 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 I'm sort of a one-trick pony. That's, that's my trick. So were you aware of the significance of, of all that when you were shooting it? Uh, that's a good question. And Thank you. Seriously, I, I get asked that a lot. Oh. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I don't know. Because I'd been been very interested in Dylan and his music since about 62 uh -huh. or 63 and I'd followed his his acoustic career and you know his and Joan Baez acoustic career very closely and I'd been to Newport a couple of times and so I wound up in Newport in 65 I had a press pass for some reason and there was this buzz going on around the 
the set around the, the, the stage and the backstage area that, that something was going on. And I, being a clueless you know, 16 or 17 year old kid, I had no idea what was you going on. You knew something was happening, but you didn't know what it is. I've heard that line somewhere, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> uh, but uh, so he came out on stage, you know, in full electric gear <laughs> and launched it at Maggie's Farm with uh, part of the Butterfield Band as backup. Yeah. And it, it really took everyone's head off. And I realized dimly in my, my foggy consciousness that, that this was completely different from anything I or the you know, 25,000 people standing in back of me had ever seen before. And so, yeah, I sort of dimly realized that this was big and new. How big, I, I did not realize in, until until later. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you know that that event has been dissected and dissected, you know, ad infinitum in you know, books and articles and yeah. probably doctoral dissertations. Well, since you were there, yeah. what is your take on the amount of booing that went on? I was in the the pit, and so I was about five or ten feet from the stage, and there were about. 10 or 15 feet of fence in back of me, and then there was another snow fence, I guess you'd call it, uh -huh. those vertical wooden slats that kept the crowd back, and then there was the crowd. And so I was to some extent removed from that. Everybody said there was lots and lots of booing, and I did not hear it. Huh. Uh, I uh -huh. honestly did not hear it. Huh. On the other hand, First, I was directly in front of these massive speakers, and I yeah. didn't at that time use earplugs. And second, I was completely wrapped up in making my pictures, uh -huh. and so I wasn't really focusing, no pun intended, on what was going on in back of me. Huh. And uh -huh. that, so people say there was booing. I, I, all I can say is I didn't hear it. Were you surprised that he, about what he was doing? I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I was flabbergasted. And which side of the fence were you on? The truth is that with regard to his acoustic work, I was a traditionalist. I was, uh -huh. so to speak, the old guard, if, if anybody who's 17. A moldy fig. <laughs> I, a moldy fig. I, I was, at 17, I was, I was the conservative old guard. Yeah. Uh, because in my then you know, nascent experience, Rock and roll was three for a penny, right. and Bob Dylan was one of a kind, right. but this was the Bob Dylan that I was used to. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, that gap had been breached, and I, I couldn't clearly put my foot on one side or the other, and so I went with what I knew, which was the acoustic Bob Dylan. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. I, was, I was flabbergasted. Yeah. It's amazing the fuss that caused. Yes. Yeah. That could not happen today. No. I can't think of anything that 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 any 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 equivalent any artist today that could make that that could who would do something different, mm. and uh, because he was the first pretty much to do that. That's correct. You know, Mick Jagger singing Madame Butterfly. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I, I heard he was a big Gilbert and Sullivan guy myself. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, th 
I don't know the breadth of the reportage of that event. My understanding, and I could be wrong, is that I think this was written about in the Times. I think John Perellis, uh -huh. who was their music guy forever, still yeah. is actually, yeah. had, had written about it in the New York Times. But I, I don't know for certain. But yeah, it, it made a huge to-do. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it, uh, and it, was, it seemed to be so important. Was it, I wonder, you know, I guess it, perhaps it was, but I think probably the songs, the, the songs that he was singing in that context were more important than the fact that he was singing them with, 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 with electric instruments. I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right because there, uh, again, I'm, I'm looking at this at the remove of, of almost 50 years, but... It's easier for, for me that way. <laughs> uh, there is, to my mind now, so much noise and clutter in the environment. Yeah. And by noise and clutter, I mean political noise, artistic noise, uh, ideological noise, people beating the drum for this or that, uh, ideological position, that, quote, simpler things like artistic expression just sort of get ignored. Mm -hmm. it, it seems to me that, you know, mind you, the Vietnam War was going full steam, there were people in the streets, the universities were shutting down. Um, people took artistic expression more seriously. Mm -hmm. you, you know, the, 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 the riots of, uh, in Paris against Stravinsky in, in what was right. it, I think, 23, 24, something like that. Yeah. I don't remember what, what, what year exactly. People took that seriously. Yeah. yeah. Now, if someone produced a, a very bizarre opera, one, one that had, you know, arias and melody and rhythm and so forth, uh, you know, people wouldn't bat an eyelash, even though that's right. atypical now. Right. People don't take artistic change or, from Dylan's point of view, I guess, evolution, maybe that seriously. <clears throat> yeah, or you could also look at it uh, that people are, are, are more accepting and more broad-minded about that stuff. <sighs> and are, are willing to accept something new from an artist that they have not heard before. Depends on the generation. My generation is more calcified. Yeah. The 20-somethings will... Ossified. Listen. Yeah, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. uh, and uh, the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings will, you know, will have a more open, flexible mind. I'm not so sure about that. Actually, I'm not so sure about that. Uh, I'm not sure that I agree <coughs> with you about that that generationally, hmm. you know. But, so you must have, but that obviously having yourself, having put yourself in that situation, that was not the first time you were, you were uh, interested in shooting music. No, actually. Um, I'd, I'd been shooting for a couple of years before that. Uh -huh. <clears throat> in fact, if my memory serves correctly, and I think it does, I believe that the first performance event that I ever covered uh -huh was an event with some unknown group called the Big Three 
Oh. at the Academy of Music <laughs> in Philadelphia, <laughs> and they became the Mamas and the Papas, but some unknown comic opened for them, a guy named Bill Cosby. <laughs> <laughs> I still, have right. those, <laughs> I still have those negatives in my safe deposit box. Wow. Yeah. And that was not too long after Cass Elliott graduated from my high school. Oh, for heaven's sake. <laughs> <laughs> Where she was known as having the filthiest mouth in, 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 in my high school. How can I not love her? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and uh, Spiro Agnew went to my high school also. Oh, boy. Spiro Anagnostopoulos Correct. before he changed his name. Probably, yes. Yeah, that was his name, Anagnostopoulos. <laughs> What's wrong with a good Greek name like nothing. that? Nothing. Nothing yeah. at all. Nothing at all. Except if... You know, I voted for him. He was a sucker born every minute, man. For governor. You know why? Because he, he was, was running, running against Adolf Hitler? I don't yes. know. Yes. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he was. He was running against a guy named George P. Mahoney, who was, a, who was I thought at the time, really, really old, and probably is younger than me. Of course. Than I, than I am now but who had a very strange speech impediment, which was part of his charm. But the other part was he ran on a platform based on the slogan, your home is your castle, protect it. Boy, he was ahead of his time, wasn't well, he? <laughs> <laughs> there were two liberals, uh, two, uh, he was a Democrat. There were two liberals who ran against each other, canceled each other out, and George P. Mahoney got the, got, got the nomination. And wow. he ran against Agnew, who was running as a, Repu as a, as a Mac Mathias Republican liberal. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Little did we know. <laughs> yeah, little did we know. The, the only question is when he went on the take. Yes. <laughs> from day one, yeah, we probably. can assume. Yeah. Uh, so you shot the big three, huh? Yep. Wow. Now there were. So which one was missing? I don't remember. Was it? Was, was I have not. Well, yeah. what, was it? Was it? Uh, Cass was there, but I don't remember the other two. Well, was, was one of the other ones a woman? Do you remember that? Because that would be... I don't think so. Okay. Well, then probably it was the two guys. Yeah, the two I think guys. so. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they, they moved to New York and yeah. hung out in the village, and the rest is history. Yep. Ancient history. <laughs> Obviously, I can barely remember it. <laughs> um, what, what was it um, about shooting musicians that did it for you? That's a good question. I, I ask myself that, but I somehow liked the the energy around the performances, and I still do. Yeah. Uh, th this is something that that I key into very easily, and it it resonates with me. I, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't play any instruments, mm -hmm. but you know I can sh I can shoot like hell, and. There's something about a live performance that just generates excitement in my eye. And my, mm -hmm. by eye, I don't mean the passive organ. I mean the, yeah. the, the capacity to, to frame images, mm -hmm. to see images, to set myself up to get images. Uh, and I, I have no idea why that is. But yeah. the, the, and I, I get almost the same energy from, from theater, because uh -huh. uh, I shoot a lot of theater, and I always have. Mm -hmm. But uh, something about, especially when a performance is going well, uh, the relation between the performer 
and the audience. The, you know, you, you hear from performers all the time, they feed off the energy of an, of an audience. I think that's correct. Mm-hmm. I feed off the energy of that relationship. Yeah. And when it's there, it's as plain as the nose on your face. Yeah. 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 So, um, were you were you shooting other what, 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 were you shooting other things? Yeah, I did time? spot news, uh-huh. uh, sports, uh, a little bit of you know stock commercial stuff, you know, yeah. occasional weddings, little things like that, but uh, but mostly news and sports besides besides music and uh-huh. theater. Did you have a, um, a a photographer hero when you were coming up first? <sighs> I was. Of the <clears throat> of the life and Associated Press school, uh-huh. my 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 yeah. goal was to either you know work for Life magazine or work for Horst Foss in Saigon, uh-huh. um, because I thought that the the stuff that they were doing, the journalistic stuff they were doing, yeah. was the best in the world, yeah. and I frankly still do. You never got to Vietnam. I never did. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, thank God, because I could have been on Larry Burroughs' helicopter when it was blown up over Laos. Really? Yeah. What do you mean you could have? If I'd been working for Associated Press yeah. with yeah. Uh, in Saigon in, in 1967, 68, yeah. that's what could have happened. Wow. So I went to college. I went to Syracuse University for uh-huh. photojournalism, Yeah. the Newhouse School was one of the four or five great journalism schools in the country yeah. and uh, my my goal was to you know go there and get my chops and go to work huh. when, when did you have your first dark room <laughs> when I was about eight eight yeah both my parents were photographers oh wow uh, my father was a scientist he uh-huh. had a very he had a stellar career but he was a very talented amateur photographer since he was you know 10 or 15 years old uh-huh. and my mother was uh, professional she had a little studio and she did portraits and weddings and uh-huh. headshots and things like that and so I was raised in this photographic environment and so they had a little dark room built off my father's wood shop and you know I learned to print I, I, I printed only black and white I never printed color really uh, why yeah. is that uh, because at that time, uh, any kind of color printing was extremely expensive. Uh. Even in the the analog film age, it became much cheaper about 10, 15 years later. Uh-huh. But I only printed black and white, but I, I printed pretty well. Uh-huh. Uh, but I, I learned to print and to some extent compose and shoot from my parents. Huh. Huh. Um, and my mother was a better printer than my father, but... Uh, <laughs> She was probably a better still shooter than he was too. Uh-huh. Uh, he did a lot of of movies. He had a, you know, he'd shot stills all of his life, and then in the fifties he got into sixteen millimeter film uh-huh. and got a really good Bolex and a couple of lenses and and uh, shot film and edited it, you know, huh. all of his life. You never got into film. No, I never did. Why is that? I don't know. Huh. Uh, I, that's that's a good question. I yeah. wish I knew. Yeah. Um, I I like the still frame. I I like the the yeah. composition. I like the if you will uh, durability that a good image has in someone's mind more than many videos. 
mm -hmm. or more than moving images. Yeah. Yeah, the, the answer, because I like it, always works, you know? Well, well that's I, a fair answer. I mean, that it, really is my answer. Very early in my TV career, I was a, 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 on a show called The Critics Place on, on uh, Maryland Public TV. Mm -hmm. And we had this really smart but very snooty classical music critic on that show. I was the jazz and pop critic. Mm -hmm. And it was a live show, and we we had uh, and I, I had brought in Jean Luc Ponty, the jazz uh, electric jazz violinist. Mm -hmm. Now, you know he had been to the Conservatoire in Paris, you know, <laughs> and so the snooty classical music critic, live on the air, goes, "Mr. Ponty, you 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 play so beautifully, and you've had such a wonderful education. Why on earth do you choose an electric violin?" And Ponty just looks at him and goes. Because I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, you, you do what you do for love. <laughs> uh, boy, that, that was a, what a great moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he deserved every bit of it. Destroyed him. <laughs> <laughs> deserved it, too. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, w when the, uh, you know, when, when digital cameras came in, were you a, did, did you, a, uh, go to it immediately or did it take you a while? Um, took me about five minutes. Um, <laughs> here's what happened exactly. I went to China in 2005 uh -huh. with my Canons, you know, my film cameras and a hundred rolls of film. Wow. And uh, I was in China for a month and I came back with three unexposed rolls and the other 97 were, were used. Yeah. And so I souped them all and had them printed and so on and so forth. And one of the guys that I'd gone with was this very smart, very snotty MIT engineer. And he said to me, John, you know, and he did some envelope calculations, you know, for what you spent on buying and developing that film, you could have bought the best digital camera on the market. <laughs> And he showed me his calculations, and the son of a bitch was right. Yeah. And so I went out and I bought a digital camera, and I never looked back. I love shooting film. I don't shoot film nearly often enough. Uh, but you I, still do? Occasionally. Really? Occasionally. When I do, I enjoy it immensely. What's the difference? It's the feel. Really? It's the feel. Huh. It's the feel of a film image. Uh -huh. And I'm, you know, it, it reminds me of the old argument that you know far better than I do, the difference between uh, an amplifier with tubes and an amplifier with, you know, transistors or whatever. Or playing was. a CD. Yeah, or playing, or a, or playing a, a CD LP. as opposed to an LP. Yeah. yeah. It's the feel yeah. of a black and white film image. There's huh. nothing like it. Huh. Uh, it's hard for me to imagine the, it's hard for me to imagine life's photo essays shot digitally. On the other hand, I would be kidding myself and I'd, I'd, be, I'd be lying to myself if I said that there isn't absolutely fabulous, unparalleled work coming out of digital cameras yeah. every, every day, including today, yeah. uh, in the hands of good photojournalists. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's something about a roll of Triax film that, that, uh -huh. uh, you know, is is matchless. Huh. So 
um, when do you when do you choose film over digital? <clears throat> when I have lots and lots of time to make each shot. <laughs> really? Yeah. Ah. Obviously, you know, before 2005, I was shooting everything on film. Yeah. And you know, I went through a hell of a lot of film and a hell of a lot of money. Uh, if anything, it, it's a good exercise to slow you down and to make you think about a shot before you push the release. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Uh, my daughter took some photography, took a photography class in high school. And one of the things that the teachers asked for was, you know, can your parents lend you a, a decent film camera? So I had this, this film camera that was, you know, as good as anything in the world, mm -hmm. uh, circa 1975, mm -hmm. and I lent it to her. But when she started the class, the teacher took a cardboard box and a pin and started the kids off with a pinhole in a cardboard box saying, this is how a camera works. Huh. And I realized that she was in good hands. Yeah, that yeah. Was, That's the way you learn. Huh. And huh. by the end of the semester-long class, I think they had gotten up to using sheets of film in a cardboard box. Wow. And I thought that was wonderful. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've always wondered, um, I mean, I've been in those situations too, but as only as a, as a producer or an editor. Um, but when you're in the middle of a scrum, <laughs> when you're either in a pit or you're in an event, and every other photographer is trying to get the perfect, his perfect shot, and sometimes prevent you <laughs> from getting yours so that he can get his. How do you handle that? What do you do? And, 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 and if you had, I'm sure you've had that situation happen. Yeah, I have. Many yeah. times we yeah. all have. That's, that, is, that is an excellent question. Thank you very that much. That is an excellent question. You're supposed to say that, but I like that. I, like the, I always like to hear send it. Send me you a know. check. Yeah. Um, <laughs> boy. Um, by and large, it has been my experience in, in being in lots of scrums yeah. that there is almost a gentleman's agreement uh -huh. that you get your shot and get out of the way. Uh, I mean, if you're standing yeah. there in the in the middle of the perfect view and you're yeah. you know taking 29 frames, uh, somebody's going to elbow you out of the way and with good reason. Yeah, huh. but. In scrums like that, it's presumed you know what you're doing. It's presumed you're going to make a good shot and, and get out of the way. Really? Yeah. Wow. Uh, my experience, and, you know, I'm by no stretch of the imagination, you know, a, a full-time, world-class professional AP photojournalist. I mean, that's not the world I've lived in. Yeah. But... I I have not really had the experience of people getting in my way intentionally or sabotaging my shots or elbowing me out of the way when I'm in position. It just hasn't been that way. The scrums that I've been in, a scrum by by definition is a very fluid environment. Yeah. It changes second by second. Uh, you know, you, you get your shot and, and get out. Yeah. Where things actually get a little bit Harrier is in non-scrums. For example, if I'm shooting in a in a in a pit and in, at a live event, you know, sometimes 
somebody who really does know what the hell they're doing will will get a get in a stance to get a good shot yeah. and stay there for 10 minutes huh. or, or or two minutes yeah and sooner or later somebody will elbow him out of the way yeah. usually me and uh, and and get their shot in uh -huh. you know 45 seconds and leave but yeah there is I don't want to say a gentleman's agreement and yes it's a competitive business but it hasn't been my experience that people really get in each other's way. Huh. Um, a problem that I'm very sensitive to, because I'm a stills guy, not a film guy, is that when people are shooting video and stills at the same event, video usually is done with a much wider angle lens. Yeah. And so I want to stay out of their frame. I, I don't want yeah. the you know the 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 lower right hand corner of his of his frame having the back of my head in yeah it. yeah and so yeah. i i try and stay out of the way well you're you're lucky i've been in lots of situations where some asshole will just get in my get in my shot but but you're italian you've got ways to fix well, that that's that, that is as a matter of fact it, it wasn't another photographer one time i was doing a story on bo diddley for mm -hmm. television mm -hmm. I was producer and at the time I had, I was totally obsessed with um, uh, mid-career Martin Scorsese, who mm -hmm. wasn't, right? Mm -hmm. And um, and his his bravura shots of the Steadicam shots of mm -hmm. walking through the 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 uh, uh, the kitchen of the restaurant of yep. the, of the yep. nightclub and up the stairs. Or it actually started with Raging Bull when it, where yep. a guy goes through the right. the the uh, the hallway up the stairs into the ring. Right. And and I wanted and I didn't have a steady cam. <laughs> I had a good photographer. I had a good videographer mm -hmm. who's, who's pretty steady. And I wanted to I wanted to I wanted to walk backwards in front of Bo Diddley as he walked down the down the hallway, down the mm -hmm. stairs, and up to the stage. So you had the steady cam vision. I did, but I didn't have a steady cam. Doesn't matter. And at the time, I was working on a show that had a, a forty share at seven thirty in after in, mm -hmm. in, in the evening. Okay. Yeah. And I was just full of it. I was just <laughs> full of, of, of the big ratings, and, yeah. and, 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 and I had to get my shot, right? Right, right. And I actually kicked somebody out of the way. <laughs> it wasn't another photographer. Yeah. It was just some drunk. That's reasonable. It, was, it seemed reasonable to it, me. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> I did get the shot. <laughs> Fine. Fine. Oh, boy. What you won't do... <laughs> Yeah, to make it happen. Um, so, uh, you know the old gag, don't you? you know, which you, one? You're, 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 you're in the, the 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 fishing boat, and you know George Bush is fishing in the next launch, and he <laughs> and he falls off, and he's drowning, <laughs> yeah. and he s extends his hand to you. <laughs> yeah. He's gasping for breath. Yeah. And the question is, do you use a wide-angle lens? <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. True. Of course, when you use George Bush as an example, that skews things. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Uh, so uh, uh, you were in Philadelphia when you were when you were first covering news, right? That's correct. I yeah. I was raised outside of Philadelphia. From roughly, I think 1960 or 61, to when I went off to college in 65, mm -hmm. 
And so I went, I started off going to the, well, I started off covering high school sports, but then I wound up at the Philadelphia Folk Festival, uh-huh. and I parlayed that into a press pass for the Newport Festivals, uh-huh. and parlayed that into the Newport Jazz Festivals, uh-huh. and here I am 50 years later. Yeah. 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 Well, you did have a little detour along the way. Yeah, I had a couple. A couple? Um, <laughs> I, I, I made one terrible, terrible mistake in my life. Yes. And it was once, just once, uh-huh. I listened to what one of my professors told me. Oh. Yeah. When I was in the J school in Syracuse, we had to take a liberal arts course uh-huh. for some requ- requirement. And so I took a philosophy course because the line was shorter at registration. This was when people went to the gymnasium and signed up for registration. And the mistake that I made was the professor said, read so-and-so books, and I read the books. And that was a terrible mistake. Oh. Yeah. And it launched me into 12 years of academic philosophy. And I'd gone from an extremely poor high school student to a real geek. And I did a bachelor's and master's and most of a PhD in ancient Greek philosophy. And uh, I learned Greek and German and a little bit of Latin and uh, wrote a whole bunch of stuff. And so that sort of unfortunately took me out of journalism for many years. And probably out of employment, too. Well, that, (laughs) so I was working on the dissertation. I was doing a commentary on Plato's Protagoras. for the cognoscenti in your audience, you'll realize that this is a catastrophic admission of stupidity (laughs) because you find the smallest dissertation topic you possibly can that has no secondary literature. You don't go for a dissertation on a topic that has been explored exhaustively in 20 languages for a thousand years because you never reach bottom. But uh, so I was working on the dissertation and decided that I needed to get a real job. So the employment prospects in ancient philosophy were pretty minimal. Pretty so, minimal? Oh, they were very bad. <laughs> and, uh, Did they actually even exist? For a few. Yeah. But they had to be geniuses, and I wasn't. So I looked around for something interesting and challenging to do, and I wound up becoming a cardiologist. And I did that for 28 years and retired last year and went right back to journalism. Immediately? Yeah. Without hesitation? None. The next day? No, actually, it was about a year and a half earlier. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I started, you know, started working with Oregon Music News about 2009 or 2010. Yeah. And, you know, alongside my shooting for you guys, you know, I was shooting for anybody else who would have me. Yeah. And so I had a fairly busy journalistic life uh-huh. for about three years before I retired. Yeah. And since then, it's gotten twice as busy. Isn't that good? I love it. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah. I just got back from Greece um, a couple of months ago. Uh-huh. I was in Lesbos from August 16th to 29th covering the refugee situation. And it was a catastrophe then, and it's gotten exponentially worse now. I follow uh-huh. it extremely closely. And uh, I wish I could go back. There's reasons I can't. But uh, I'm, I've, I did a long-form documentary at a prison south of here in uh, 
October through January of last autumn. Uh-huh. And I shot in prison. Yeah. That's always hard. Yeah. I've done lots of stories in prison. It's yeah. not, not, it not was not extremely hard. It was yeah. much harder than I anticipated. Oh, God, yeah. And I'm starting a project with the Portland Police Bureau uh, that is evolving, and I probably keep quiet about it for the time being, mm-hmm. but it looks to be a, another long-form documentary that might, ta- might take about a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, it's... Uh, I, I, had, I had spent the night in jail mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> on, a, on a couple of occasions when we the police when the, when the police were trying to shut down my on my, my old hippie newspaper but mm-hmm. uh, I had never really experienced you know being there um, I, I mean it was basically a joke mm-hmm. when, when they when they slapped us in jail because we, sure. we, we knew the ACLU was going to get us out but sure uh, yeah Prison is a different story yeah it's a different story yeah. and 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 uh, 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 it's uh, it's dreadful. Yeah, it's it dreadful is. to be there. Yep. It's it's a terrible place to be. Yep. Uh, I don't know why. You know. Uh, <coughs> I, I I don't. I mean, I would do it again if if I had the assignment to mm-hmm. go do it because it, I mean it is. Uh, well, because you're a journalist and it's a great story, you know. I. I did a piece on a wonderful project at the McLaren Youth Correctional Facility in, uh-huh. in uh, Woodburn. Yeah. And long story short, uh, it's kids and feral dogs rehabilitating each other. Oh, yeah. And the, the project went very well, uh, except that I started having nightmares uh, uh, within about three days of my starting it. Wow. And they didn't stop for months. Case. And uh, I became extremely tense and very depressed and uh, couldn't figure out why. Um, I didn't put two and two together, but uh, then I I realized what was going on around me and, and, you know, my my intellect took over and things got a lot better. Uh But uh, those are harsh stories. And what happened in Lesbos was, was exponentially worse. Yeah, and um, it, it's it comes with the territory, but yeah. uh, I've still gotten off extremely light compared with you know many of the people that I worked with there, right? Or the people who are actually in there. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I, I I did a actually both of the stories or two of the stories that I can remember right now uh, when I had to shoot in jail were actually happy stories mm-hmm. in in a sense. Mm-hmm. One was like a uh, on a guy who was getting out that day. Yeah. You know. Uh, and That, by the way, was my bonus prize in this prison shoot. Yeah. I got to cover the, uh, one of the guys that I'd been covering on the day he was released. Nice. And that was very nice. Very that nice. was extremely nice. Our guy, there was a, we, we got this great shot of him. Uh, it was a, 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 a right to left pan. Mm-hmm. Of him coming out of the door. Mm-hmm. And walking toward the main gate of the prison, mm-hmm. which which had across the top, never again. Mm-hmm. He walks through the gate. Walks through the gate. The gate closes. He keeps going with our wireless mic. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oops. <laughs> well, was it oops or not? <laughs> we did get it back. <laughs> because 
I mean, uh, maybe he forgot he had it on, but maybe he didn't. You Reminds never know. me of the Callahan cartoon. He won't get far on foot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what what do you want to shoot? Well, mm, the thing that that really excites me, and the thing that I will devote really probably the rest of my life to doing, yeah. is long form documentary uh-huh. of the human condition. Yeah, uh, I like doing music. I like doing theater. Uh, I'm pretty good at doing both. Um, it's it's not so much a matter of needing to do that to put bread on the table because frankly I don't but it's something that I can do well and easily and have a lot of fun doing uh-huh. but where I really live is is in the deeper documentary stuff yeah. Yeah. Um, I when I got back from Greece, I got back from Greece on September 8th, and I wanted desperately to go back by about the third week in September. There were uh, physical reasons I couldn't, uh, but if I had had my druthers, I'd, I'd, have, I'd have followed the whole, the whole story from yeah. Greece to Macedonia to Serbia to Austria to right. and so forth, and now what's going on with Slovakia and Slovenia is a nightmare. Right. Yeah. What's going on in Lesbos is an absolute catastrophe. It's right. it's literally five times worse than yeah. when I was there, yeah. uh, and it, it it eats at me every day that I'm not there. Yeah, yeah. Um, the long form work that I'm that I hope to start with the police bureau will will it'll keep me busy and satisfied for yeah. uh, for a long time. Good. Good. So. Unfortunately, uh, there's no news coverage of those things here. Yeah, I in, know in that. this country, we, because uh, they'd rather have we'd rather they'd rather put on Donald Trump. Please, <laughs> please. Well, they would. All I can say about Donald Trump is yeah. one word: I know. please. please. <laughs> uh, Donald, please. That's that's one way of putting it. I I have followed politics. I, I photographed the original march on Washington. You did? Yes. I heard the I Have a Dream speech wow. live. Where were you? I was about two-thirds. If you're looking stage right from yeah. Martin Luther King's standpoint, uh-huh. viewpoint, I was about two-thirds of the way back in the reflecting pool on the right side. Wow. Uh, I was 15. Huh. It was August 28, 1963, the march on uh-huh. Washington for jobs and freedom. Wow. Uh, and I, I photographed it. Uh, and were you there by yourself? I was there by myself. Wow. Yeah. Um, but you know, the <laughs> it, that's a funny story in itself. But my my parents, they knew that I wanted to go. They knew that I didn't have the common sense of a rabbit, <laughs> and so they they said, you know, they're good liberal people. They 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 said we're not going to prevent you from going, but we're not going to help you either. <laughs> so, and, and I was too young to have a driver's license. So I hitchhiked to a local suburb where I had managed to get a seat on an NAACP bus. Wow. And I took the NAACP bus down to D.C. and, and photographed the event. So. <laughs> Boy, great, great. All right, you have taken more photographs of Storm Large than anyone else in the history of the, of, of, of the universe. I hope so. I think by my count, I photographed her 41 times. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, 
why what is it what is it what does she have she is and, and I say this advisedly and I've thought about this very very carefully yeah. <laughs> if one day I woke up and turned on the news and heard that she had gotten the latest MacArthur Foundation genius grant I would not be surprised <laughs> in the slightest first she is this poly-talented genius yeah. who, in any given area that she does, she excels. Mm -hmm. Second, she is unbelievably versatile and professional. Third, she's got talent by the bucketful, and every time I shoot her, there is something different. You know, you listen to Pablo Casals. Yeah. In one of his interviews, he said, I start every morning by playing a cello suite. And the interlocutor, the, the, the sucker interlocutor, <laughs> said, well, how long have you been doing that? And he said, 80 years. <laughs> and the, the sucker kept on going, well, why do that? And he said, because there's always something new. Uh -huh. With Storm Large, there is yeah. always something new. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I have never, ever photographed the same woman twice. Really? Never. Wow. Um, if she gave a performance of her reading a telephone directory, it would be worth shooting. <laughs> it, would, it would be. Yeah. Would be. I, I've, you know, I probably have photographed her more than anybody because else. She would, she would read, read every name as though she knew them intimately. <laughs> no comment. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> no comment. But the one thing I want her to do yeah? is... I want her to do stand-up. Oh, yeah. Because inside yeah. that incredible body yeah. of hers, yeah. there is a Woody Allen comic <laughs> clawing to get out. You mark my words. When she does stand-up, she's going to be bigger than Woody Allen. <laughs> well, that means she probably also has a screenplay. I've, nothing would surprise me. She could do me. anything. Yeah. Yeah. If, yeah. if she decided to do the ring cycle, it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> That's uh, funny. And the other aspect of her, and this doesn't, doesn't really come out photographically, but it does, if you look at the stuff that I put up for Oregon Music News or on my, my Flickr site, uh -huh. I have a canned disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, with her, all of my journalistic... Uh, objectivity uh -huh. is turned off. Yeah. <laughs> she is a good person. She yeah. is a deeply humanitarian, yep. uh, empathic, thoughtful, uh, sympathetic individual, mm -hmm. and she lives her life that way, and the easiest evidence that I can adduce to show that is that she keeps doing performances in support of something that she absolutely doesn't have to do. Right. Her career is solid, no question. Yeah. But she keeps paying back and mm -hmm. paying back and paying mm -hmm. back. Mm -hmm. And she's doing this for years. Yeah. And I have absolute bottomless respect for her yeah. as, as, a, as a thoughtful individual. Yeah. I, I did the first TV story on her. Lucky you. And back when she was doing that, that act at Dante's, which yeah. was just so brilliant. Yep. And when uh, we were about to publish the first issue of the of Oregon Music News, the magazine, mm -hmm. you know, she's never turned me down for an interview, mm -hmm. you know. And so, 
and it was really it was hard for her. She had just come off the road from the album. She was exhausted. Mm-hmm. She had she she had a cold. Mm-hmm. Um, her boyfriend was in town from L.A. They hadn't seen each other for a long time. She was having knee surgery the next day, and she but she said, "Come on over." She yeah. gave me an hour. Yeah. And in that hour, that doesn't surprise me in the in slightest. That, in that hour, I asked her. There was one for me, an iconic moment in my interview, right? The TV interview from you know ten years before, mm-hmm. right? Where I, I where I, she she actually had two she had she had two very very funny lines, both of which were filthy, and one of which I, I and I put both of them in the in the in the version I had to show to the boss mm-hmm. so that I know that one of them would get in, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And, the, and, and the, the, you know, the other one, which was worse, would be the gimme that he could take out and be okay, right? <laughs> and she said, when I'm performing, I just want to make that audience shake like they're, like they're a uterus in an, in an orgasm. And she goes, <laughs> and shake her head back and forth. Okay, okay. For, for me, because I did the story and because yeah. of who she is, this was a great moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, as she yeah. became, as her, first of all, it was a great moment anyway in the story, even though she was just a performer once a week at Dante's at that time. Right. But as, as, her, as her career grew, it, was always, it became more, even more, you know, iconic to me. So I, I started, you know, to ask her about that. Mm-hmm. Not only did she remember it, she remembered shaking her head back and forth. And, she, I'm, and when I did this interview back in December, she did that. And it's ten, it was 10 years ago that, mm-hmm. I, that, we did that I did that story, you know? It doesn't surprise me in the slightest. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is an extraordinarily smart, yeah. smart, canny yeah. Yeah. person. Yeah. And yeah. anyone who thinks, yeah, she's a cool rock and roll singer and that's it. <laughs> They'd better get their their, their eyes open. On the other hand, there have been times when I've requested you to shoot something that you really didn't like. And I'll never forget The Residents. (laughs) One of my favorite bands. Because I'm I'm just like that, right? I I love you anyway, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) But... I shot the residence and I got some decent stuff. You did. And then I think I went home and I took Benadryl. I, 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 I was physically, I, I had vertigo. Well, the thing is, John, that was their intent. It worked. It does. <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'll, Tom, I'll shoot heavy metal for you, but no more residents. <laughs> Uh, the residents that 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 was that was that was tough. That was one of the harder assignments you've ever given me. Ah, oh boy. And, and you know, one of the interesting things that every every year, although you, you were out of out of the country this year, was the working the blues festival. Yeah, yeah. It's always fun. grueling. Very. And there's always a, a lot of other photographers there. Yep. What what is that? What has that experience been for you? Um. It's it's a marathon. Yeah. Uh, it's not a sprint. Um, I've covered the Blues Festival, I think, four or five times now. Yeah. And what I've learned is that, you know, I, I drink a quart of something every hour on the hour. And that's the only way you can keep going. It is very hot. It uh-huh. is extremely physical. Uh, the, the physical uh, demands are extremely intense. Uh, the, the crowds, there's a lot of pressure, but I generally can get around them. Um, the difficulty is, is getting a new, a oh, new shot, yeah. a, a new yeah. picture. Yeah. 
because I've shot it so many times and yeah. I've you know shot all the stages so many times but you know if I just have a little bit of patience yeah. the shot will arise yeah um, it's been my experience and and you know I've made by now probably millions of pictures the less I shoot the better I do uh, well, you and, can say that for almost anything and the the uh, you know, maybe I should shoot the next Blues Festival on film. <laughs> uh, it's, it's a thought. But uh, it, it, I, it is physically extremely hard. Um, I, I've found when I'm, I, I do a lot of you know, things like you know, demonstrations yeah. and riots and police actions and stuff like that, which usually happen in the summer, and they usually mean that I'm walking backwards for three or four hours at a time. Yeah. And so I, I get exhausted, and I realize that when I'm saying to myself, gee, you know, I've got my pictures for the day, I ought to hang it up and uh -huh. go home, and gee, nothing's interesting going on, and, yeah. and then I'm just dehydrated. Uh, and then I drink, you know, half a gallon of Gatorade, and uh -huh. I'm good to go again. Wow. Uh, and that's, that's the way I do the Blues Festival. Yeah. You know, I, yeah. you know, quart every hour. Well, listen... Thanks a lot for coming in here. I mean, it's been a joy to work with you all these years, and I'm looking forward to, you know, lots more. Tom, you've given a lot more to me than I've given to you. Oh, that's the truth. Oh, jeez, I, I can't imagine that. But, but uh, thanks a lot. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Okay. Appreciate it.